Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast. Core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. I'm Anand Swami Nathan. And I'm Jenny Beckesme. This week, we're going to discuss preeclampsia and eclampsia. These are two disorders that are among a group of hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. This group includes chronic hypertension, which is elevated blood pressure that predates the pregnancy, is documented before 20 weeks of gestation, or is present 12 weeks after delivery. This group of disorders also includes gestational hypertension, which is elevated blood pressure without proteinuria, which develops after 20 weeks of gestation, and the blood pressure will have to return to normal within 12 weeks of delivery for it to be called gestational hypertension. So while we do include those two disorders in this group, the ones we're more focused on, again, are preeclampsia and eclampsia as far as emergency department management. Preeclampsia is a pregnancy-specific multi-system disorder that is characterized by the development of hypertension and proteinuria after 20 weeks of gestation. Preeclampsia can occur any time within the antepartum, intrapartum, or even the postpartum periods, but it is most likely to occur after 20 weeks gestation. Eclampsia is a severe complication of preeclampsia in which a woman has new onset of seizures during pregnancy, and obviously it's going to be related to both the hypertension and the proteinuria. Now, in addition to the preeclampsia and eclampsia, we need to know about some subcategories as well. So you can have preeclampsia that is superimposed on chronic hypertension, and this is going to typically present as new onset proteinuria or an acute increase in blood pressure in the setting of chronic hypertension. And then we also have HELP syndrome, that's H-E-L-L-P, HELP syndrome, which is a complication of preeclampsia that's characterized by hemolysis, elevated liver enzymes, and low platelets. That's what spells out the HELP. And once we've got all these definitions in hand, it's nice to move on to the pathophysiology, except that we don't completely understand the pathophysiology of these disorders. What's widely believed at this time is that the placenta itself has some abnormal features which leads to this disease, and there may be some immunologic factors as well. The effects on the fetus of preeclampsia seem to focus on increased uterine arterial resistance and chronic placental ischemia. There are a number of maternal complications from preeclampsia, including HELP syndrome, eclampsia, pulmonary edema, acute renal failure, placental abruption, and disseminated intravascular coagulation, or or DIC. Additionally, the chronic placental ischemia results in fetal complications, including intrauterine growth restriction and an increased risk of cardiovascular disease within the fetus and fetal demise. There are a number of risk factors for the development of preeclampsia that we should know about. Now, these include advanced maternal age, BMI over 35 at the start of pregnancy, and multiple gestations, but probably the biggest ones are a history of chronic hypertension, diabetes, chronic kidney disease, and hypertensive disease of pregnancy in a prior pregnancy. While most of these patients present with a very straightforward complaint like, my doctor told me my blood pressure was elevated and I should come to the ED, there are some other symptoms including epigastric or right upper quadrant pain, severe or persistent headache, visual disturbance including blurred or double vision, nausea or vomiting, shortness of breath, or increased edema. And if we see any of these in pregnant women, we should be starting to think about preeclampsia as a possible diagnosis. Right. Any of these symptoms or a blood pressure greater than 140 systolic or 90 diastolic is going to trigger us to start our assessment for preeclampsia. 
There are two basic categorizations of preeclampsia according to the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, or ACOG. There's mild preeclampsia, which is the new onset of elevated blood pressure and proteinuria, and severe preeclampsia, which is a blood pressure greater than 160 over 110, 2 plus protein on urine dipstick, and any concerning symptoms or lab abnormalities. So this it could include transaminitis, thrombocytopenia, hemolytic anemia, or an elevated creatinine. Typically, our OBGYN colleagues are going to be looking for an elevated urine protein on a 24-hour urine collection, but we're not going to be doing that in the ED. We're going to be looking for one plus protein on the UA or two plus if we're thinking about severe preeclampsia like you mentioned. In addition, we want to get a CBC, a basic metabolic panel, LFTs, uric acid, and an LDH as part of our assessment. So let's move on to management. Say you have a patient who is 23 weeks pregnant and was referred from her doctor's office for a blood pressure of 140 over 90. She's asymptomatic and her labs are all normal except for one plus proteinuria. What are your next steps going to be? If it hasn't been done already, I'm going to be getting an ultrasound looking for fetal movement and strong fetal heartbeat. I'm going to thoroughly assess the patient for any features of severe preeclampsia like pulmonary edema, visual changes, and then the lab abnormalities we mentioned earlier. If all of that stuff checks out, we can actually just refer this patient to obstetrics for further management. ACOG doesn't recommend treating the blood pressure unless it's over 160 systolic or 110 diastolic. Since she's only 23 weeks along, we're not going to progress to delivery even though that is the only cure for preeclampsia. If the patient was beyond 37 weeks of gestation, we'd probably admit her and delivery would be recommended. Okay, let's change it up a bit. Let's say you've got a woman at 23 weeks who comes in with a new onset persistent headache for a week. Her blood pressure is 166 over 110 at triage, and her exam is unremarkable. You send off labs, and you notice a small bump in her LFTs, as well as an elevated creatinine. Now what are you going to do? Well, this patient, unlike the first one, has severe preeclampsia based on the blood pressure, the symptoms, and the labs. Her management's going to be quite different. I would start IV magnesium on her with a loading dose of 6 grams followed by 2 grams per hour. The magnesium sulfate does play some role in blood pressure management, but we're really giving it to prevent progression to eclampsia, so it's really there for seizure prophylaxis. You're also going to want to administer direct antihypertensive drugs to prevent cardiovascular, renal, and cerebrovascular complications for the mother, as well as worsening placental ischemia for the fetus. The typical agents that we use here are labetalol 5 mg IV or hydralazine 10 to 20 mg IV. Personally, I prefer labetalol since it's a drug that we commonly use in the emergency department. It's usually stocked in the ED as well, which is nice, but ACOG doesn't really recommend one agent over the other. If you're comfortable with hydralazine, go for it. Personally, like I said, I prefer to use labetalol here. Once again, delivery of the fetus is going to be the ultimate cure for severe preeclampsia. If the patient is greater than 34 weeks of gestation or develops severe preeclampsia prior to the fetus being viable at all, then ACOG recommends delivery. If the fetus is in the gray zone, so they're above fetal viability, but they're less than 34 weeks, the recommendation is to attempt to delay delivery for 24 to 48 hours while giving corticosteroids to help the fetal lung maturity move along and then deliver. Bottom line is that the patient is going to be induced since severe preeclampsia is so dangerous for both the mother and the fetus. Let's take the same patient one more time, but now let's say that they're seizing. Now, how does the management change here, Jenny? 
Well, now, of course, we're going to start by addressing the ABCs. So we'll consider RSI to ensure oxygenation and ventilation. And we're going to have to try and place the patient in the left lateral decubitus position or displace the uterus to the left to take the pressure off of the IVC. Seizure termination is going to start by giving magnesium. So again, it's a six gram bolus followed by an infusion of two grams per hour. And we're going to consider benzodiazepines or possibly propofol if that's not working. Again, we can use labetalol or hydralazine, either one, to control blood pressure, and we're going to want to get the patient to OB as soon as we can for emergent delivery. One thing we have to be careful to look out for is the postpartum preeclampsia or eclampsia. This usually happens within 48 hours of delivery, but it can occur up to a couple of weeks out. Suspected in any patient with new-onset hypertension or concerning symptoms like headache or vision change in the immediate postpartum period, and treatment is going to be the same as we've already discussed. I've seen one patient with postpartum eclampsia, basically a young woman who came in seizing with really no history able to be provided. She was refractory to multiple medications, and then we finally figured out when we went through her purse and found a little baby bracelet that she was in the postpartum period. We loaded her with mag, which stopped her seizures, and she ended up doing just fine. The bottom line here is you really do have to think about this disorder or you're going to miss it. Yeah, no, that's a great tip. When looking at a seizing patient, think both about a current pregnancy as well as a recent one. All right, so there's our tour of preeclampsia and eclampsia. We put up a core post on this topic a couple weeks back, and we'll drop a link to that in the show notes. Jenny, how about some take-home points before we go? Suspect preeclampsia in any pregnant woman presenting with epigastric or right upper quadrant pain, severe or persistent headache, visual disturbances, nausea or vomiting, shortness of breath, increased edema, or weight gain. Second, evaluate for preeclampsia by looking at the blood pressure, urine for protein, and obtaining a panel in blood work to evaluate for HELP syndrome. Third, severe preeclampsia and eclampsia are treated with bolus and infusion of magnesium. Next, emergency delivery is the cure for preeclampsia and eclampsia. Consult OB early for evaluation for delivery. And last, don't forget to consider preeclampsia and eclampsia in the immediate postpartum period as well. Well, that's all for the Core EM podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coreem.net. We've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We'll have a core post up on Wednesday and a journal update up on Thursday. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page, follow us on Google+, and on Twitter where our handle is at core underscore EM. Thanks, and see you all next week.